Try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Um, if you would, if you'd turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to uh, be the, the last verse, in, in the last verse of chapter 15 today. 23 verses last week, one this week. Take a, calm down, step up, and we'll dig that out. This is the first message of the journey of faith uh, focus for us. We'll be doing that for the next few weeks, and then we'll get back into uh, chapter 16 after that. But uh, today, the focus is just perseverance. And um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about uh, stewardship or money. I really want to talk mostly about just the character of a believer and the perseverance in the faith. It, it's a great title, Journey of Faith. I mean, we're all on that, right? From beginning to end and on. And so we want to do that, and that's where we're going to be today. So let's, let's just look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, beloved, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we need you. We need you to teach us. We need your spirit to move in us. We need your word to conform us. God, would you make us receptive? Would you um, push us out of our um, comfort zone, protect us from the evil one? For we know that blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And we want to be numbered in that. That's who we long to be. And it is the hope of our salvation that one day, one day we will experience that fully. So come, move in us and shape us. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 1952, a young woman named Florence Chadwick stepped into the frigid waters of Catalina Island determined to swim to the mainland of California. She was already an experienced long-distance swimmer, having become the first woman to swim the English Channel both directions. The weather was cold. It was foggy on the day that she would set out. So foggy that she could barely see the boats that accompanied her. Some of the support crews used rifles to drive away sharks that prowled around her. While Americans watched on TV, she swam for hours, for 15 hours and 55 minutes. She swam, begging to be taken out of the frigid cold water. But her trainer and her mother urged her to persevere telling her again and again she could make it, that the shore was not so far away. 
physically and emotionally exhausted, she simply gave up, stopped swimming, and was pulled out. As the boats made their way to the shore, she discovered that she was a mere half a mile away from the shore. The next day, she gave a news conference, and what she said, in effect, was this, I don't want to make excuses for myself. I'm the one who asked to be pulled out. But I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. But I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. As a church, as North Wake Church, we're committed to a mission to reach the lost and equip them to join with us in the process of becoming mature and ministering worshipers of God. We desire to make disciples, but I believe to continue this mission, we need to see the shore. And we need to stay in a continuous state of reorienting ourselves to that shore. Otherwise, we will be in danger of giving up prematurely, particularly in this area of the journey of faith and sacrificial giving. If we lose sight of the shore, if we forget what it looks like, we will simply give up. Some of us have been in the water a long time, much, much longer than 15 hours and 55 minutes, more like eight years. And if you're anything like me, you're becoming a bit disoriented in the fog. Some of us have simply lost sight of the shore. Others have put their toe in the chilly water of sacrificial giving, have seen the fins of the sharks and bailed before they ever got started. I want us to use this illustration today to highlight that the shoreline is not the paying off of a building debt. That's not the shoreline. That's not the finish line. Some of you, like me, have been sitting around fantasizing of what you will do when you don't have to write that check to Journey of Faith. What could we do? Some really fun stuff. It's not the finish line. The shoreline is the culmination of the gospel. The future resurrection and the restoration of all things, that is the shoreline. The shoreline is the joy set before us in the kingdom of God, bought for us by our king himself. It is this beautiful shoreline that makes all our labor worthy and not in vain. It's the hope of the resurrection and the reward of heaven that gives life and beauty and brilliance to the simple, long, mundane obedience, step by step in the journey of faith. But the question that I want us to really think about today is what about us? Will we endure? Will we stick it out? Will we be the kind of people that finish the race? 
or those that bail when it gets hard. You see, our generation is not really known for enduring, for perseverance, for steadfastness in immovability. That's really not the character traits we're known for. A couple generations ago, when I think about my grandfather, men and women who went through the Depression and World War II, those people learned to be steadfast, immovable. They were steady. They finished the race well. I wonder what will be said about us. Our granddaughters, grandsons. So today, I'm standing with Paul from chapter 15, verse 58, assuming that endurance, spiritual toughness, perseverance is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. It's not one of natural gifting. It's one of supernatural illumination. That when Jesus Christ comes into a person's life through the gospel, when his heart is regenerated and his, and his heart is filled with the Holy Spirit and he sees Christ as his substitutionary atonement and that through his union with Christ that the wrath of God is taken away, that he stands forgiven in the sight of God and that the righteousness that he could not produce, God richly gives him in Christ. And if that weren't enough, the promise and the hope of one day that all things will be righted, that the sin and the flesh that you fight today will be laid down and you will be raised anew, an imperishable body, one without the effects of sin, one that, that can worship God the way that you were created to in the first place. Unbelievable. And I believe that 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 changes people, that that's what helps them persevere. It's a perseverance in the gospel. And Paul says, therefore, in view of this amazing truth, in view of the fact that we are going to receive a new body, one in, it is, has continuity, like we talked about last week, but one that has been transformed into an incorruptible likeness of Christ. In view of the surety of this blessed hope, it has to affect the way we live. What we do and how we do it day in and day out. Paul calls the Corinthian church, my beloved brothers, Despite the misgivings over their theology and their practice, despite their general antagonistic stance on most every issue, from his own point of view, they were dear brothers and sisters. Why? Because of the gospel. 
because of what he's just taught us for the last three weeks throughout chapter 15. Their family, their siblings, their loved ones, because they shared the same divine parent. They had been adopted into God's family. And this exhortation that Paul gives is a tender, compassionate, loving exhortation. Paul longs to see his brothers and sisters truly live out their identity. It's a good word for us because most of us throughout our days um, suffer from spiritual amnesia. An amnesia that obscures our true identity as it's been defined by the gospel. We forget. We just plain out forget. Writer Elise Fitzpatrick understands the condition this way. She says, even though we believe the gospel, the occasions in which the gospel, the incarnation, sinless life, death, bodily resurrection, and ascension of the Son of God actually intersect and powerfully affect our daily life are infrequent. We assent to these precious truths of Scripture, but we frequently find ourselves living life like practical atheists. When you lose sight of the gospel, when you go home today and you pull up in your really warm, really dry, really immaculate house, some of us, what then? What is the, the factor that gives you identity? What is it? What will it be this afternoon when your family members around you get on your nerves? What will it be then? Will you forget? You see, when we lose sight of the gospel in the moment, moment to moment, times of our life, we forget who we are, to whom we belong, why we are here, where we are going, and you know what we will do when we, for, when we forget all of those things? We will simply roll over and quit. We will stop swimming. You will quit. You will quit living a life that honors and glorifies God because it's hard or it doesn't make sense or it just doesn't intersect with your real life. We are forgetful people. So how does one then become steadfast and immovable? Paul calls the church at Corinth to be steadfast and immovable. It's the idea of endurance and perseverance, not being moved from the truth of the gospel. You know, the, the Apostle Paul is talking more than just 
an act of steadfastness or an act of immovability. He's saying, no, this is what shapes you. This is your character. This is who you are in Christ. If all of these things are true, if the gospel is true and the resurrection is true, then you are to be my beloved brothers and sisters, steadfast and immovable. Early in the chapter, he makes this argument about the truth of the resurrection and speaks of character, showing that a change in faith in the resurrection would lead to a change in our actions. At the end of this verse in um, chapter 15, verse 32, he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. What they believed was affecting how they should live. And Paul agreed. Paul says, if the resurrection is not true, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die. But if the resurrection is true, if these things are true, It should produce in us a holy living, which is the natural outcome of our faith. Paul is saying that once you have learned the truth of the gospel, hold on to it, be anchored by it, grow in it. This is not a direct exhortation towards ethical behavior, but an exhortation toward the work of the gospel in you and staying loyal to the work of the gospel in you. You have to cling to the gospel of grace if you are going to become steadfast and immovable. Colossians, Paul would say in Colossians 1, 21 through 23, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You will not stand, you will not endure if you shift your eyes from the hope of the gospel. The fog is too great. The waters of our culture are way too cold. There are way too many shark's fins out there swimming around you. You will simply not finish. You will give up. You'll beg once again to be taken out of the water. I am urging you, don't stop. Endure, persevere in trial. For when you have stood the test, you will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That is your promise. That is why we persevere. Hebrews 12 One says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight of sin which clings so closely 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The real obstacle to your journey of faith is sin. That's your obstacle. That's my obstacle. For it entangles us and binds us and keeps us from enduring. It's really what makes us grow weary. And the writer of Hebrews tells us to lay it aside. Jesus set his sight on the joy set before him. He saw the shore. He continued to go in that direction. His sight was fixed. He finished his race. Even as it went directly through the cross. And shame. The grace of God flows to us through the divine power of Jesus Christ. He is the victor. He has finished the race. You see, Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 1 would write this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. God has granted you in Christ everything you need for life and godliness. He's given it to you freely by his grace. Now, turn there and read with me a little further. I don't have a slide for this, but it's too good to let go. For this very reason, verse five, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, can't see, nearsighted, that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Persevere. Endure. Don't be nearsighted and blind. Be diligent to make your calling and election sure. It's not about what you can get by with. It's about striving after Christ. God wants you 
to be fruitful and productive. He has given you everything you need. You see, today we begin our yearly journey of faith emphasis. Each year at this time, we engage one another in this capital campaign. That capital campaign basically pays for this campus. You know, it fuels a vision of the church. And it fuels a vision for a church that would be radically generous. And there are story after story after story for eight years of people diligently, sacrificially giving when it didn't make sense so that where you sit today, there was room for you. When you bring your neighbor, when they connect to the church, they have a place to sit and hear God's word talk. You sit in here on the shoulders of many sacrifices. If you're new to North Wake and you wonder how we got here, okay, there is a $1.1 million debt that we owe. It began as $2.9 million with a whole heck of a lot less people. And God has continued to bless us and continued to keep us steadfast. It's beautiful. And we embarked on this years ago for one reason, to facilitate a vision for a local church that would be centered around the gospel and the Great Commission. We desired to build a place that would be filled with our neighbors, a modest campus that could act as a launching pad for a movement of mature and ministering worshipers that would go across the street and around the world. And what has happened in the past eight years? Through God's faithfulness and through your faithfulness to the gospel and sacrificial generosity and your perseverance, many people have come to know Christ and they sit among you. And many marriages have been saved from ruin through a hope counseling center that's housed here. And a ministry to orphans in Haiti has been birthed from this local body. And there are 29 missionary units right now in 14 different countries and an army being trained right now to go out in the next few years And there are 46 pastoral interns that have been sent out to various places in various capacities. And two new churches. One in the heart of D.C. and one in the heart of Tampa. And in 2013, God willing, there'll be more. God has been gracious and he has been merciful. And you guys have continued to strive to bring that mission forward. Abounding 
in the work of the Lord. And it is a beautiful thing. And I beg of you, don't stop. Don't quit. So how does the gospel create a heart that is abounding, one that is always pressing forward in the work of the Lord? Let me remind you, this letter is not written to the professional types. It's not written to the seminary student and the pastor and the missionary and those that would be, have a title. It was written to a group of people who have one title, and that is the church. So how do we continue to do this? How do we continue to create a heart that is abounding, always abounding, pressing forward for the work of the Lord? It is seeking and savoring his sovereign grace, his faithfulness in lieu of our unfaithfulness. That is it. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31, or you can read it on the screen. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God took the people of Israel by the hand and led them out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of slavery. He took you by the hand and led you out of captivity and out of slavery. And even though you are unfaithful, he will write his law on your heart. And in Christ, in the fulfillment of this new covenant that Jeremiah was looking toward, he will forgive your sin and he will remember them no more. They shall know me, and I will remember their sin no more. This changes everything. When we step back and we remember what God has done for us, this changes everything. The pain, the hurt, the trials of this life pale in comparison. And we take another step forward. always abounding in the work of the Lord. The thing that trips us up is this, un, this false triumphalism where we believe that all of the promises of heaven will come to bear upon our life in this very moment. 
keep your eyes fixed on the shoreline, not on the waves, not on the sharks. Christ has bought us the victory. It has not been fully fulfilled yet in our lives. And we will become disillusioned, cynical, and we will quit if we do not set our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, realizing with greater and greater clarity that even in the midst of your struggles, even in the midst of your unfaithfulness, even in the midst of your pain and other sin and the consequences of sin that come into your life, he is there. His sovereign grace will sustain you. He will take you by the hand and deliver you. So, James 1 tells us, even in the midst, even in the midst of hardship, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. God is perfecting you. Two months after her first attempt, Florence Chadwick returned to the waters of Catalina Island to try again. The fog was just as dense. The water was just as cold. The sharks were still out there. Yet knowing where the shore was, she made it this time. After 13 hours and 47 minutes, she reached the shore of California, breaking a 27-year-old record by more than two hours and becoming the first woman ever to complete the swim. What about you? Now that you know where the shoreline is, now that you have studied 1 Corinthians 15 and you know that Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, and on the third day, according to the scriptures, was raised again. And that one day, you shall be raised to share in his likeness. Is that shoreline producing in you steadfastness, immovability? Are you willing to get back in and swim some more? Is your life filled with an abundance of work for the Lord? Or is it mostly for you? In your name rather than his. There's a promise at the end of verse 58 that because the gospel is true, because the resurrection is true, that what you do in the name of the Lord is not in vain. 
your sacrificial gifts to this church, your ministry through and in this church, they are not in vain. They are hard. They are toilsome. They are laborious at times. But they are not in vain. For one day, God will raise you up. And he will raise others up because of your work. Because of your work right now, there are 29 families all over the world. Because of your work, people are hearing the gospel in D.C. and Tampa and in areas and neighborhoods where they had not. Because of your work, these seats are filled with people who get to hear the gospel weekly, who are connected to small groups, who love one another and care for one another and exemplify what the church is supposed to be. Your labor is not in vain. It's beautiful. And Jesus left for us knowing that we were a forgetful people and that we would forget everything that we've talked about today. Um, he, he left us an illustration. On the night that he was to be betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he blessed it and he, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you Take and eat in remembrance of me. And he took a cup of wine and he blessed it and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, we are forgetful people. We don't reorient well. And Jesus knew that. And he left us this example for the church to participate in so that we would continuously remember where our hope is, where our trust is, where our salvation lies. So today, if you're a believer in Christ and you are following him, you are welcome at this table. If you have not yet placed your faith in Christ, then I would encourage you during this time to pray and to ask God to make himself clear to you, to change your heart, just like he did for me when I was a 21-year-old young man who had lost his way, ready to give up, ready to quit swimming. God can change your life, your direction, And he longs to do that. But you have to come to the end of yourself and place your trust and faith in him. So I would ask that you would just pray and reflect on that today. And we're gonna do something a little different. We're gonna have an extended time of worship. So there's no rush. Time for you to just pray, reflect, remember. Remember that Christ came to you in your time of need and took you by the hand, delivered you from your slavery, wrote his law in your heart, placed his spirit within you, regenerated that heart, and set you on a path.
remember, confess your sin, knowing that only God's grace can save you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we approach your table, help us to do that with a heart of worship. A sense of awe in who you are, that you are the sovereign God of the universe, and that by your will, you sent your son as an atoning sacrifice for us so that we could be saved, so that we could persevere, so that we could be reconciled to you, restored, and worship you for eternity. Help us to throw off, Lord, any sin that entangles us today. And help us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us? Stand with us and let's worship our God.